from the Schmoes No Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, it's time for Profiles with your hosts, Alicia Malone and Scott Mance. Hello, Schmoville. Welcome to episode 11 of Profiles. Woo. And boy, have we got an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> Our spotlight today is... Francis Ford Coppola. What a life, what a career, what great movies. What a great winemaker. Yes. <laughs> Among <laughs> other things, one. right? Among other things. He, of course, is one of the most influential filmmakers in the world. He shaped American cinema, part of the new Hollywood wave that happened in the late 60s, early 70s, towards yep. the almost to the 80s. And he always bended the rules, pushed the boundaries creatively and with a use of technology. So interesting. His stories and his movies, I find, are often about families. Of course, there's the obvious family, the, the godfather, godfather family. <laughs> but then there's also the family that you are, you know, you're not born into. One that happens by circumstance, like in war, like Apocalypse Now, right. or a family that's bred from social classes, like the outsiders. Absolutely. So much to talk about with Francis Ford Coppola. What a great observation that is, Alicia Malone. <laughs> well, thank you. I love it. But yes, he was born into this, this new Hollywood revolution that included Martin Scorsese, Steven mm. Spielberg, his protege, young, young guy named George Lucas. Lucas, but also Hal Ashby and Robert Altman. And looking at his work in the 70s, four back-to-back brilliant masterpieces. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise that Francis Ford Coppola is the only filmmaker to ever win the top prize, the Palme d'Or, the Cannes Film Festival, twice in the same decade. The rules of Francis Ford Coppola, he says, write and direct from original screenplays. Use most the most modern technology available Mm -hmm. and something he's done time and time again, self-finance them. Yeah, well, he created the uh, independent studio American Zotrope with George Lucas, one one of the members. He also promoted a lot of other great filmmakers like Kurosawa, Wim Vendez, Paul Schrader, and then he started the careers or helped the careers of people like Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Harrison Ford, Marlon Brando. When you watch the conversation and there's oh, that Gene scene Hackman. in the conversation you've got Gene Hackman Harrison Ford and Robert Duvall in the same scene yeah, Robert and you're Duvall. like what oh my god insane. well what a life what a, a wonderful, wonderful life. life and we'll take a look at that in our video called it's a wonderful life take it away Francis Ford Coppola was born on April 7 1939 in Detroit Michigan His mother, Italia, was an actress, and his father, Carmine, was a musician who would go on to compose the iconic scores for many of Coppola's very best movies. After graduating from Hofstra University with a drama degree, which was followed by graduate work at UCLA's film school, Coppola honed his skills as an assistant to B-movie king Roger Corman, with whom he made his featured directorial debut in 1963 with Dementia 13. In 1969, Coppola formed the San Francisco-based independent production company American Zoetrope with young protege George Lucas. And the following year, Coppola co-wrote the Oscar-winning screenplay for Patton. But then came an offer Coppola couldn't refuse, the chance to direct The Godfather, based on the runaway bestseller written by Mario Puzo. 
It was an instant hit, winning Best Picture at the Academy Awards and kicking off an unprecedented decade during which Coppola also directed the classic films The Conversation, The Godfather Part II, and Apocalypse Now. In all, Francis Ford Coppola has been nominated for 14 Academy Awards as a writer, producer, or director, winning five times. The Academy also bestowed him with the Irving G. Thalberg Award, honoring his outstanding career in film. What a great score. Love it. <laughs> you had to use that, right? I had to. Come on. Well, what was your first blood with Francis Ford Coppola? The first Coppola movie you ever saw? The first Coppola movie I saw was The Godfather. Okay. Now, I didn't see it till uh, after school. It was when I was working at Video Easy, the video store oh, in course. Sydney, Australia. <laughs> but I knew so much about this movie because it's such so iconic. And there were so many pop culture references to the, the film throughout everything, even The Simpsons. Or You just always would hear the, you know, make him an offer, can't refuse, yeah, yeah. and the, and the cotton ball cheeks. And so I, when I sat down to watch it, I wasn't expecting it to be as interesting as it was, you know, just because I thought the gangster movie genre, that is more of a, a guy's thing. It's yeah. something that I didn't think I would be interested in. But man, I was wrong and I'm so glad that I was wrong because that story is so fascinating and those characters are so brilliantly written. It sucked me in and then I've been a Coppola fan ever since and then I went on to watch Apocalypse Now and The Conversation and everything we'll be talking about today. But isn't it funny how when you watch watch how it's spoofed and imitated over the years mm. and then you go back and watch the original film, you go... Oh, oh, now I get it. Now I totally get it. And there's a good reason why it's it's spoofed so much is because it's just so brilliant. Oh, it's such a brilliant movie. What but was your first blood? My first blood was Apocalypse Now, nice. which I saw in 1980 on television. How old were you? I was uh, 12. Oh, my gosh. And again, my parents. <laughs> they have good taste in filmmakers. They have good taste in filmmakers, but bad timing when it comes to showing an 11 or 12-year-old some of these movies. I mean, they showed me The Shining in 19. Wow. But I remember watching it at home. It was a Sunday night and during the commercial breaks, they would come back from the commercial breaks and say mm-hmm. and say parental discretion is advised. Yeah. And the image that stuck out in my head for many years until I was able to go back and watch it the way it should be seen complete and on the big screen was that image of Lance, Sam Bottoms. Lance! Lance! You know, water skiing with the the sound of the Rolling Stones satisfaction and the look on Martin Sheen's face like, what have I got myself into? What is going on here? But there's also the the scene, I'll just never forget the ride of the Valkyries, the helicopter Mm. attack on the Vietnamese village. You know, that Whenever I hear Faulkner to this day, yeah. I think of Apocalypse Now. And I remember watching Jarhead with Jake Gyllenhaal, and they were watching, I think, they were watching Apocalypse Now in the movie, because yeah. you just hear the ride of the Valkyries, and you know straight away it's Apocalypse Now. Well, if I can bring the Beatles into a show, you should be able to bring Jake, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal into a show, your <laughs> yes, future husband. my favorite. <laughs> okay, let's get into our Fast Five number at number five. five. Steady gold. Stay gold. The Outsiders. The Outsiders came out March 25th, 1983, based on a book by S.E. Hinton, and uh, nominated for three awards, not Oscars. They are the Young Artist Awards, Mm. and it actually won one for Young C. Thomas Howell. Well, what an incredible cast. What a cast. I mean, most of these guys hadn't done a movie before, or they were very, very new to it. But you see, you've got Emilio Estevez, you've got Rob Lowe, you've got Patrick. 
Patrick Swayze, Matt Dillon, Diane Lane, and Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, when you watch the ending credits, Tom Cruise's name is the seventh one down. <laughs> yeah. That never happened again. <laughs> no way. I mean, it just shows that Coppola had such a great eye for casting. I remember he said that he thought about Emilio because Emilio used to hang around with his father, Martin Sheen, on the set of Apocalypse, Apocalypse now. now. But this is a it's a really interesting movie, isn't it? It's very nostalgic, 50s film, all about teen angst and social classes and rebellion. Just the beauty of the sunsets yeah. and the sun scenery it's oh, yeah. so lush and it's quite poetic isn't it it's a really lush film it's poetically shot like you pointed out with the sunset and uh it is a, it, a movie for mostly women i think yeah because the guys are very sensitive yes the greasers versus the socias right yeah and you've got listen this is coppola's version you could say it's his take on West Side Story, but without mm. the music and the singing and the dancing. Or a bit like Rebel Without a Cause. Rebel Without a Cause. As well. Definitely. It's quite over the top, very romanticized. Written by, as, as you said, S.E. Hinton, uh, between the ages of 15 and 17. Right. So I think that explains a lot of the themes that kind of alien feeling towards the, the guys in the movie. But they, uh, written very well, the characters, it's hard to keep track of them all at the start when yeah. you're watching the film, but then you <laughs> soon get into it. It's interesting that, that Coppola shot this and Rumblefish back to back. Both movies are based on books by S.E. Hinton. But while you were watching The Outsiders again, because you and I always like to go back and rewatch these yes. movies, especially if we haven't seen them in a while, uh-huh. and I haven't seen The Outsiders in decades. But I'm watching the film go, and this is such a, such a deep, sensitive, moving film. Is this really from the same guy who did The Godfather Part Two and Apocalypse Now? I know, but I it's, believe it. it still has that same mythic quality to it that yes. he does so well. And I like that he paid as much attention to the cinematography for this movie as he did with his other ones. Oh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And our, our profilers in Schmoville yeah. agree. Ben Friedman says, in eighth grade, we read the book and my teacher showed the movie to the class. I remember the opening credits were shown and I saw Coppola's name and I said, oh my God, he directed <laughs> The Godfather. I love that guy. For about two minutes, the rest of my class just stared at me thinking I was nuts, but I didn't care because I was happy to see his name. Yes. After watching the movie, I respected Coppola even more because he perfected the difficult task of adapting a book to the screen with 100% faithfulness faithfulness to the source material. Well, he was convinced to, to make the movie after a high school teacher and her students wrote to Coppola wow. and said that he should make this book into a film. Jordan Huffman is also a fan of The Outsiders. He says, I first saw it in middle school when my drama class performed it and I thought it was such a good story. The cinematography and the pacing are both top-notch. The characters are expertly portrayed by a slew of future Hollywood heavyweights and there are great scenes such as Ponyboy and Cherry talking about the sunset that are unforgivable. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, and actually that's the scene that stuck out yeah. when I was rewatching. I just the went, silhouettes. Oh, it was beautiful. Just it was gorgeous. gorgeous. Stay like gold. A, like stay a, gold, Stay man. gold, Ponyboy. Stay gold, Alicia Malone. Stay gold. <laughs> well, what is your right stuff when it comes to Cobble? Your, your favorite scene in one of his movies? My right stuff is from The Godfather Part 1 Okay. at the very end. And this is when... Michael, he's he's becoming the Don. You see him, you see him. But this is the moment when he becomes the Godfather. Right. And that is after the, the baptism, after he's killed the heads of the five families, after he's killed Carlo, and then Connie comes in. She's hysterical. He sends her away. Kay comes in, asks him about his business. 
which is don't ask me about my business Kay. exactly and he's like (laughs) okay just this once then he lies straight to her Mm -hmm. she believes him she leaves the room and then she sees the guys coming towards him kissing his hand godfather and just the look on her face when she knows and the door shuts that he has really become this guy and that actually now that i think about it now that you mentioned that moment that was the moment where, A, yes, he became the, the Godfather, Godfather, but that's also the moment when he became, he became very, very different from Vito. Yeah. Vito never would have lied. Exactly. Vito was a class act as far as gangsters go. Yeah. And he was someone you respected and admired and wanted to please, whereas Michael was Michael. a Godfather you just feared. And someone that was completely different from the Michael at the start. That's true. Completely different. What a transformation. Well, We'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. Yeah, we'll what's, get to all that. Right yes, we will. My right stuff, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And there are so many scenes from Apocalypse Now that I could choose. Obviously, the Ride of the Valkyrie scene. Yeah. The, uh, the Playboy Playmate scene. Not Dennis because. Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper. I'm an American. Yeah. Boy, those monkeys <laughs> do bite. He is crazy <laughs> in this so movie. Crazy. But the scene that I love, the scene that always really gets under my skin more than anything, is as you know, where you're watching the movie, you're in Willard's head as yep. he's learning about Kurtz. Mm-hmm. And as he goes from being on this mission to kill him, he grows to admire him. He grows to, he just wants to meet the guy. Yeah. So when that finally happens, after he's literally dragged through the mud by mm-hmm. all the other savages, and he's dragged into Kurtz's lair, which is very dark, you, you hear Kurtz before you see him. And Marlon Brando, that was the second time that happened, because remember in the first Godfather. Godfather, yeah, that's right. You right. don't see him for a few minutes. For a few minutes, but you hear his voice. And it's a great effect, but what what happened with, with uh, Apocalypse Now was Brando showed up to the set very overweight, yeah. and Coppola pulled a very brilliant artistic move of shooting him in the shadows, which, which added to the menace and the, the intensity of the film, so that when he's talking to Willard... He sort of his face sort of comes in and out of the shadow, yeah. and it's really, really haunting. It's it really, really, haunting. really is. So many details in Coppola's movies. Details. Segue to the, the last, last detail. Details, what we call our trivia section. Hit me up. Okay, did you know that? No. <laughs> well, just an interesting fact to start out with: Francis Ford Coppola made The Godfather when he was just thirty-one years old. Thirty-one, which blows my mind. He's younger than I am now. Oh, scary. And he made such a masterpiece. That's crazy. Kubrick called The Godfather the greatest movie ever created. Is that a ringing endorsement? Oh, my God. Stanley Kubrick says it's the... the boy, yeah. wow. Yeah, what's your trivia? You, you could do worse. Uh, I'll hit you up with one here. Is uh, Let's see. While Making the Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is sort of a tangent from Coppola. But While Making the Outsiders, young Tom Cruise got the screenplay for a movie called Risky Business. Yeah. And he was talking to his co-star, Diane Lane, saying, you should play Lana. Oh. And Diane Lane said, yeah, I don't think my dad would let me play a hooker. A hooker. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, did you know that Sofia Coppola appeared in all three of the Godfather films? In part one, she was Connie's child being baptized. Ooh. In part two, she was an immigrant child. And part three, of course, you know she starred in the film. Oh, yes, definitely. Well, did you know that John Cazale played Fredo Corleone? Yeah. And, and he was also Dan. in the conversation. Yep. Okay, he made five movies in his lifetime, and they were all nominated for Best Picture. What? The Godfather, Godfather 2, The Conversation, The Deer Hunter, and Dog Day Afternoon. Wow, what and, an actor. And while making The Deer Hunter, he met his romantic 
a companion for a long, long time, Meryl Streep. Mm. So what a life. And there's actually a documentary called I Know It Was You, mm-hmm. which is about John Cazale's amazing life. Highly recommend it to our friends in Schmoville. Well, yeah, he's someone that you don't know too much about, but right. he's someone that people should know about because he was such a brilliant actor. Hit me up again. Oh, that was it. That was all the details I have for you. Do you Can have I give one you more? one more? Okay. I got one more for you. <laughs> Did you know... Alicia, yes. that for his cameo at the end of The Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. which uh, that the dinner scene at the very end, the James Cut. I, I thought, yeah, I thought that was a flashback that was taken from The Godfather that was never used, but yeah. it was shot specifically for The Godfather Part Two. So James Kahn got paid as much for that one cameo as he did for the entire Godfather Part One. Wow, nice That's payday, James Con. Good negotiation. Good there. negotiation fees, there, my friend. Now we're up to Fast Five number four, which is kill us if you got the chance. The, the conversation. conversation, amazing film, came out April seventh, nineteen seventy four, which means. It is now the 40th anniversary of The Conversation and of The Godfather Part Two because amazingly, both of those films came out the same year. They were both nominated for Best Picture. That's incredible. What a what a zone Coppola was in at that I time. I know. I can't even imagine doing two films in one year, let alone two classic films in one year. I have to say, when I was doing my research, which is watching all these movies again, yeah. I had such a great time watching the conversation. Yep. Every single time I see it, it sucks me in. It's this slow burn conspiracy thriller. Interesting that it was written before and produced during the Watergate era when people were very hyper concerned about surveillance. But it, you know, it was written before then. Right. It's amazing. It was right on the money. Right on the money. I'm with you. Like, of course, we love going back and rewatching these movies again. Mm. I mean, what a, what a great fringe benefit <laughs> yeah, of doing job. profiles yeah. is going back and rediscovering, but also from this perspective. And even though I love all the other films we're going to be talking about, I have to say that I got more out of the conversation than I did out mm. of the other films. This is a paranoid thriller in the extreme, like you pointed out, perfect for the Watergate era. Yeah. And and among all of the films that Francis Ford Coppola directed, I, I've, I've read that this was his personal favorite. Well, it's one that every time you watch it, you get something more out of it. And just the layers, the details in this movie, how the dialogue for, of the actual conversation that Harry Cole is listening to, that changes the emphasis on the words. The oh, words yeah. stay the same, but the emphasis is different. So that grab you just heard, it starts out with, he kill, he'd kill us if he gets the chance, and then it's, he'd kill us if he gets the chance. Subtle, but really important, because slowly when you're watching this movie, the meaning of those words changes. becomes clear. Changes. Yes. It's two ways of seeing the same thing. And it's a challenging film because if you stay on top of it, it's a very intensely paced film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this cost $1.6 million to make. Of course, it's back in the early 70s. It made three times that. doesn't sound like a lot, but it was. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Sound, and Best Original Screenplay, which Francis Ford Coppola wrote. And it was one of the two films of the 70s that Coppola directed that won the top prize, the Palme d'Or, mm. at the Cannes Film Festival. And now that I think about it, Alicia... I am not one who thinks that that these great classic movies we talked about during Profile should ever be remade. No. But this is one where I thought, because this is a movie about privacy, Mm -hmm. that because of today with the internet and surveillance and different technologies and and the and the the Patriot Act, all of these things, Mm. I feel like of any film, classic film from the seventies, that really should be remade. 
yeah, the conversation would be good. Yeah, or maybe just something similar right. to it. The same themes. I don't want to see this remade. Gene Hackman is Gene so is brilliant as Harry Cole. Just that lonely, paranoid guy. I can't imagine anyone else playing that role. Apparently, he was very different in real life. In real life, he was very outgoing, but he had to play this very socially awkward character. He learnt saxophone for this movie. He learned saxophone for this movie. I have that written down on my note card, too. Of course, same wavelength here. But uh, yes, uh, Harry Call wound up pretty tight, isn't he? And he's very religious guy. Do not swear or use the Lord's name in vain in front of him. You Mm -hmm. will never hear the end of it. He plays a professional eavesdropper. This is a brilliant, chilling, haunting film. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, after the film came out and became a hit, it was later that Coppola found out that the cutting edge, and I say that very loosely because now it looks very dated, but the technology, the surveillance equipment that they used in the conversation, they learned was the same type of equipment that the Nixon administration used to spy on Nixon's opponents wow. pre-Watergate. So he was right on the money with this right movie. Right on the money. And that final scene, can we talk about it? Yes, let's. Where, where do you think the bug was? Well, I, I like the theory, and I've gone with the theory that it's in the saxophone. Yeah. What about you? Well, the saxophone seems like the only choice because he obviously ripped apart his entire apartment so it wasn't there. But I was thinking maybe it had something to do with the phone technology that they they showed earlier on in the film, in the convention, how you, you blow the harmonica into it and then it becomes a, a recorder and you can listen in. So I thought maybe that because his phone rings once and no one's there and then it rings again. Right, right, right. Interesting. It uh, is interesting. I just love this movie. Well, let's see what our profile from Schmilville had to say yeah, and, and our, our good friend, friend Mary Jadikin we Yay, love Mary Mary's, Mary's the, the best Mary the Jedi follow her at Mary the Jedi she's the best she <laughs> says the conversation is masterful proof that you don't need big set pieces or action sequences to build tension or yeah. engage the audience Hackman at his best you go Mary we That's love you so true because yes. there is so much tension in there and not a lot of action and a lot of the times you're just listening to the same thing that's already happened. It's seemingly boring conversation, but it is just so much. Wait, wait. It. One more scene we got to talk about before you read your schmell. Okay. The scene in the in the motel. Oh, yeah. When he's looking around, he's yep. snooping around, he's under the toilet listening. He listens in. And he then he goes things, on the balcony. Sees the murder. He sees what he thinks is one murder. Yep. Realizes later was another. I love that twist. Oh, I'm jealous twist. of anyone who hasn't seen this movie yep. just to just experience the twist for, for the, the first, first time. time. <laughs> well, Jennifer McCarthy says, the conversation questioned spying ethics through gripping filmmaking long before the NSA was a household term and done so well that Hackman's character was essentially brought back to life for Enemy of the State. That's true. Maybe he'll pop up again this decade for another film because in Enemy of the State, I think they use some, some older pictures of, or some younger pictures of Gene Hackman. It's from, from the, conversation. the conversation. Right. So actually, yeah. Kind of you a could, spiritual sequel. A, a spiritual sequel of sorts. Not a remake. Yeah, But not a spiritual a remake. sequel. Thank you, Niffer. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. And welcome to Schmoville. That well, brings us to... Uh, the big picture. The big picture. The best movie posters yes. for Francis Ford Coppola's movies. Let's hear it. Pit Boss. Less is more, a lot more, when it comes to this one sheet for the film that started it all, 1972's The Godfather. This minimal black and white image shows the logo being controlled by a hand holding puppet strings, which represents the mafia being in control and pulling the strings on society. 
referred to as the father of the modern movie poster, Bob Peake, who also designed the one-sheets for Superman and Star Trek The Motion Picture, created this stylish one-sheet for 1979's Apocalypse Now, which perfectly matched the surreal tone set by the greatest movie ever made about the war in Vietnam. And just because, who can resist this one sheet for 1983's The Outsiders, which showed baby-faced up-and-comers Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Ralph Macchio, and on the far right, Tom Cruise. Oh, look at Tom Cruise. So cute, so, so little. Cute. <laughs> I love he's doing the black backflips. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good at that. <laughs> he is. And well, Emilio does it too. Emilio's good at that. Well, you know, usually we do a segment called The Player. Yes. Where we talk about the best characters in mm-hmm. these movies. But we, we just adjusted it with Coppola because what a family of very, very, very talented filmmakers. So we decided to call our segment this week, The Descendants. Yeah, because for a, for a guy who likes to make movies about families, families he has an incredible family of his own so let's start with his father carmine carmine coppola carmine coppola composed the scores for all three godfather films apocalypse now the outsiders as well as movies that coppola francis ford coppola produced like the black stallion then you've got francis ford's sister talia rose coppola or Shire, she later became known. She was in The Godfather, of course, as Connie Corleone, and also in Rocky as Adrian. Yes, well, if you, those are two pretty, pretty cool roles. <laughs> I feel sorry for everyone listening to that with headphones. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have his daughter Sophia Coppola, mm-hmm. who is an incredible filmmaker. I think one of the best filmmakers out there. Period. And she has her own thing going. She really does. Look at her films. You got The Virgin Suicides, Marie Antoinette, Somewhere, The Bling Ring, which was a very, very good movie, and one of my favorite movies of the O's, Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation. Such but a great film. She's got her own voice. And what I love about her movies is is the way she she establishes mood and atmosphere. And great soundtracks. Great Great soundtracks. soundtracks. Then you've got the son, Roman Coppola, who directed a lot of music videos, and he's obviously a great writer has worked with Wes Anderson Moonrise Kingdom Darjeeling Limited and directed some films he too he directed CQ an underrated little scene movie which came out back in 2001 and also a glimpse inside the mind of Charlie Swan the yeah. third starring Charlie Sheen that was mm. an interesting movie but CQ because you like movies because mm-hmm. you love movies I would actually recommend going back and watching CQ I think you dig it okay I really want to see that one Nick Cage Nicholas Cage well, we all know. I he's mean, a nephew He's obviously an Oscar winner for Leaving Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. A great, great actor. I'm sure we'll be doing a profiles on him soon. For his sure. His father was August Coppola, who's Francis's brother. And then you have his other nephew, Jason Schwartzman. Amazing. What? What a family. <laughs> Good gosh. Amongst them all, they've got eight Oscars and 24 Oscar nominations. That's That, that could just be like... A party room. Yeah. Like, look at all our Oscars. It's amazing. Amazing. But yeah, Jason Schwartzman, major mainstay for Wes Anderson's movies like Rushmore, The Darjeeling Limited. Yep. Currently, The Grand Budapest Hotel. His He's also mother saving is Talia. Banks. The mother is Talia Shire. And then a new one that just burst onto the scene, Gia Coppola, Gia Coppola. who's the granddaughter of Francis Ford. She is a filmmaker in her own right. She did a lot of great short films in the fashion world. She has fantastic style and just did her first feature film, Palo Alto, which was based on a book of short stories from James Franco. So when we do profiles again in 25 years on Francis Ford Coppola, <laughs> be it'll be, the whole show will just be called The Descendants. What a family. <laughs> well, Talent runs in that. 
that family. And talent runs in you, Alicia Malone. Oh, stop. Because I know that you know your Coppola. Yeah. As we are going to find out right now <laughs> okay. in Quiz Show. Quiz Show. Okay. I'm going to hit you up first. Okay, you ready? Do it. Yep. Okay. Which Paul Newman film was playing at the movie theater in the beginning of The Outsiders? Okay. Was it HUD, Habre, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, or The Hustler? The Hustler. You're so good at this. I remember that You're one. so good at Yay. this. Nice job. Okay, nice my job. one is, so Coppola asked for six months to write the script for The Godfather Part 3 with Mario Puzo. Instead, Paramount gave him, was it A, three months, B, six weeks, We'll see one month. It's kind of a guessing one. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go with uh, what was the what was the middle one there? Six weeks. Six weeks. Yes. Really? Correct. That was a guess. He wanted six months. He only got six weeks. I, I'm not gonna say that. Uh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, but totally. it was a good guess. And that right. brings us to number three in, in our, our fast five. five. Which Cold is not the, not Jeopardy. Yes, Francis Ford Coppola directed Jeopardy. <laughs> That's more like it. Napalm in the morning. Apocalypse Apocalypse Now Now. came out August 15th, 1979. I know this is number three in our Fast Five, but truth be told, Alicia, Apocalypse Now is my personal favorite Francis Ford Coppola movie Mm. and one of my top five favorite movies of all time. It's not just a great war film. It is a great film. Period. (laughs) We were talking about this, how we could actually do an entire profiles, an entire hour on Apocalypse Now because and we there will. is so much in this movie. Yeah, why not? There's why so not? much. This could be a little little taster. Yes, this would be like a little a little uh, uh, a tease. Exactly, because there's so much. It's so beautiful to watch. It's really surreal, like a dream or or a nightmare. nightmare yeah. And it shows just the confusion, the madness, the moral dilemmas, and the horror, the, the horror. horror of the Vietnam War. Well, this came out in 1979, the second of the two films that Francis Ford Coppola won the top prize at the Cannes Film Amazing. Festival for, which 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 was shared with the Tim Drum, but who cares? He still won the top prize yeah. again. Based on Heart of Darkness, the classic novel written by Joseph Conrad, was nominated for eight Academy Awards. It won two very well-deserved Oscars for cinematography and sound, but lost Best Picture to Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, right. Now, now if you had the chance of watching either Apocalypse Now Apocalypse or Kramer now. versus Kramer, Apocalypse right? Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. Right away. Well, it's amazing that everything that could go wrong on this film did. And then some. And then some. <laughs> it, the budget was supposed to be about 12 to 13 million, end up about 31 million, which these days equates to 101 million in 2014 money, just to give you an idea. There were delays, there were catastrophes, a typhoon destroyed the set. Martin Sheen had a heart attack. Brando, as you mentioned before, turned up quite overweight and very unprepared. At one point, they put an earpiece in him so that Francis Ford could feed him the lines that he was supposed to know already. Um, it's just amazing that this film got made in the first place yeah. and that it ended up being one of the best films ever made. Yeah, it really is one of the best films ever made. Originally, George Lucas was going to direct this, but he got sidetracked with a little film called Star Wars. Little Nothing film. but Star Wars. <laughs> but uh, yes, the, the trouble production of this film, if you've never seen the documentary Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse, it's all there. And to watch Apocalypse Now and then Heart of Darkness back to back. <laughs> how did this work? How did this movie get finished? I love how this movie begins with the end. 
from the doors. The doors. And that huge explosion, which at the time was the, the biggest explosion on film ever. And there's so many great, so much great dialogue in this movie. I love the one line that this guy spoke in this movie. And he goes, terminate with extreme, extreme prejudice. prejudice. And there's so many other great lines like, never get off the boat. I didn't graduate the eighth grade for this. Never get off the boat. Oh. It's got action elements. It's got horror elements. It's got adventure elements, almost like a quest. As the boat goes up the river, it goes into the, the darkness of uh, Willard's mind. It's right. a journey for him to kind of figure out his place in, in the war and whether he's like Kurtz at all. I was reading that someone read into this movie and said that Captain Willard is like the ego. Colin, uh, Colonel Kurtz is like the super ego because he's the godlike leader. And then Colonel Kilgore is the id. I love Kilgore. He is crazy. He just wants to surf. He just and wants to surf so and barbecue crazy. and drink Robert beer. Duvall, what a character that was. 11 minutes of screen time. And Colonel <laughs> Kilgore is one of the best movie characters ever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. But when you talked about how when the boat is going up the river, yep. you're getting further and further into Willard's mind, to Martin Sheen's mind. But you also notice that the they're going further and further back in time mm. because the humanity and even some of the people on the boat, specifically Lance, they become more savage. Yeah, he paints his face. Paints his face. He's like, he's lost. I mean, Letting he's a lost soul. stuff go. He becomes savage. And I think you see more of that gradual descent and, and, and time rewinding in the 2001 sort of a, a reboot or a remake mm. uh, or uh, or extended version of Apocalypse, Apocalypse yeah. Now, Apocalypse Now Redo, which which do you like better, the original version or Redo? No, I, I like the Redo version because there's so much more in there. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're <laughs> um, There's so much in there and stuff like you were speaking, we were talking off camera about the plantation scene. Yes. Which does feel like you're going back in time with that one. Right. Well, that the way that scene sort of unfolds and, and redo, mm. you know, they get to they get to the location and it looks completely deserted, like there hasn't been anyone there in many, many years, the decades. Fog. And there's all this fog. They get off the boat, they start hearing these voices, and then the fog is blown away. And you see them, they're all standing there with their guns pointed. Like yeah. It's like they're ghosts. And the French plantation is like, it's like the it flying Dutchman. It feels like a Dutchman. dream, that whole sequence. It does. It's like the flying Dutchman. Mm -hmm. And then and the Playboy scene. Oh, the Playboy like scene a, is totally bizarre. Different dream, yeah. Totally bizarre. Totally bizarre. Like, what is it that Queen says? This is a bizarre scene. The bizarre scene in the middle of all this stuff. Yeah. Well, he says something else. It but, really is you know, like that. We're a PG show. Well, uh, Schmoville love Apocalypse Now as much as we do. Rod Winch says, Apocalypse Now is slash was so raw an endeavor. The title denotes much of the film story as well as, as the process of its making. Coppola turned out pages the night before they were shot. Actors with their demands and idiosyncrasies and dysfunctions. A great DP. Foreign government involvement. A studio losing control to the auteur. This was spontaneous synchronistic art that was a touch out of control which made it onto film simply a masterpiece with no real master wow. <laughs> and an artistic coincidence driven by fear and passion we you definitely feel the the energy the crazy energy in this movie it's captured so well and what a perfect movie and a perfect location to capture this magic or this madness uh, i was reading a quote from coppola where he said it became like Vietnam because they had so much money, they were out of control, and they all started getting a little crazy, a little mad themselves as the production went on. It's almost like like uh, Coppola became 
Kurtz. Yeah. He Kurtz. <laughs> he Kurtz. <laughs> he yeah. got off the boat. Love that. But uh, one thing I was found interesting in the in 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 the the way Coppola's process is is the way he uses one word to capture the tone that he's going for in these films. So for The Godfather, the the one word theme that he had in mind was succession. Mm. In the conversation, the one word theme he had in his mind was privacy. Mm. And for Apocalypse Now, the one word theme he had was morality. Wow. And and just before we, we veer off of Apocalypse Now, I just wanted to point out another scene that when I was rewatching the film, I found really, really chilling. Mm-hmm. So he's going up the river and he gets more mail and more of the dossiers from his bosses. And he finds out that there was, in fact, a captain, a soldier sent ahead of him to carry out the same mission that he was now doing. Yeah. Scott Glenn, character's name is Colby, and now everyone feared that he was on Kurtz's side. So they get to the compound at the end, and they get off the boat, literally get off the boat. Martin Sheen, Willard is looking around, and he sees Colby, Scott Glenn, just standing there. Doesn't see, He's not saying a word, but his face is all painted. He's completely savage. He's got this manic look in his eye, and, and as Willard is inching his way to Scott Glenn, he, he says, Colby, like, and he's looking at him thinking that could be me yeah it's chilling it is really chilling and then the way the film ends it does end with a little bit of hope because you think willard is going to go that way right he's going to be and Kurtz. Then he doesn't well right you think that he's going to be the, next, the Kurtz, next Kurtz, but he leaves and i like he circles back and he grabs lance's arm yeah and he takes him back on the boat lance but you know the these movies when we talk about coppola you know there are obviously films that are definitely the mainstays of the all-time classics, mm-hmm. not just for him, but for, for movies, period. Yes. But there are a lot of other really, really good Francis Ford Coppola films. What are some of the other ones that you liked? Well, just quickly, I really liked Jack. I liked Jack with Robin Williams. I did. And also The Rainmaker with Danny DeVito. And Rainmaker Matt was good. It's good. Yeah. And you know what? Josh Willingham... Who is our friend in Schmoville? Yay. Awesome profiler. Yeah. He runs our profiles SK tweet. So yeah. make sure you follow. Okay. And while we're on <laughs> the subject right now, we're just going to take a break here and just mention how much we love all the profilers of Schmoville. Definitely. How much we appreciate how they have just become so part of this show, just like me and Alicia, yeah. where they, they do these brackets and they really, really get into, into rating, picking their favorite characters, their favorite mm-hmm. scenes, and that they chime in on their favorite movies. And we really, really cannot stress how important it is for everyone to go to iTunes and subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, because check we- that you have subscribed because yes. sometimes it says that you haven't. So resubscribe. So resubscribe if you have not subscribed. <laughs> rate and review me and Alicia because we need these ratings and reviews to survive so we can come back and do profiles every week and make profiles a bigger and better show. Yes. But on that note, why don't we get into Bracket Land? Well, yes. Yeah, so are you going to read out to Joshua Willingham? Well, Josh Willingham, before I, before we do that, I just want to reach out, read out to Joshua Williams and say, yeah. he says this of Jack, although it's not perfect by any means, it's one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid that made me feel emotion for a character on screen. Robin Williams definitely makes the film seem better than it is by showing off his comedic timing as well as his heart. I was Six years old when it came out, and it still holds a special place in my heart. Well, Cathal Thomas Coleman likes Rumblefish, 
and he says that I like Mickey Rock in it plus the black and white images with splashes of colour and David Badroff likes the Godfather part two he said part three. Oh, part three sorry <laughs> an extra extra digit there <laughs> I find people write this one off when discussing the Godfather part one and two are great I think part three isn't far behind I agree I agree with underrated. David underrated I think it's an underrated movie I do enjoy Godfather part three for what it is yeah it just gets compared and, and it does of, co- of course it does but I also really liked Peggy Sue Got Married yeah I thought that Kathleen Turner was great in that film Nicolas Cage was fantastic I just like the the, uh, the 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 chance to go back and change would you change anything uh, another very very underrated film is Tucker the Man in His Dream came out in 1988 searing superb performance from Jeff Bridges and also from uh, from Martin Landau who got nominated for Best Supporting Actor and what do you think about Dracula? Dracula. I really like it. It's entertaining. Yeah, I like it. Gets it gets a bad rap. I'm, I'm, I'm down for Dracula. It's I like a decent it a lot. Film. Now, you mentioned the brackets. So if you go to our Facebook page, which is Profiles with Malone and Mance on the Schmoes No Network, long title, but worth your time, give it a like, because what happens there is that we, they have all these great brackets, these great uh, schmodowns between <laughs> characters. So this time it was a favorite Francis Ford Coppola character. So it went from... It it, there was several rounds, but this is the semi-finals. Michael Corleone versus Vito Corleone, and then Tom Hagen versus Sonny Corleone. It came down to Michael versus Tom Hagen. Michael Corleone is the winner. Michael Corleone over Vito. The most interesting character, according to Schmovel, our Very friends. Very interesting. And thank you so much to Leanne LeCoutier, who ran the brackets. Yay, Leanne, you rock. Say hello to our friend Leanne in Jersey, Yay. Atlantic City. We love you, Leanne. And for everyone who participated in that competition. That's yes. So, I love reading all the comments. It's so much fun to go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malona Mance on the Schmozno Network. Second shameless plug for our Facebook page. You've if you are watching the show, if you are listening to it on iTunes, please do go to Facebook, put in profiles with Malona Mance on the Schmozno Network. Give it a like. Make sure you keep following us, checking back in, and even more importantly, sharing it mm. with all of your friends on Facebook. Make sure you share our YouTube and subscribe to YouTube. Which is which is youtube.com slash schmoes no podcast. And go then, there. of course, go to iTunes and subscribe. Even if you think you've already subscribed, you might not be subscribed anymore. So go back <laughs> and resubscribe, rate and review us. And now let's get back into our Fast Five. We're waiting for a very, very special guest to call in. But until then, let's go to Fast Five number two, which is... I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. That second you broke my heart oh, is killer. He's like shaking his head. Oh my God. Intense scene. So intense. One of many intense scenes in this three hour plus movie that came out on December 20th, 1974. Another movie celebrating its 40th anniversary was nominated for 11, yes, 11 Academy Awards. It won six. And joining us right now, we here at Profiles are very, very honored and proud and excited to join, to be joined by Oscar winner himself, Francis Ford Coppola. Mr. Coppola, you are on with Scott and Alicia. Hello. 
Hello, hello, Scott. Hello, Alicia. Yes, I'm here. Hi, you said Thank my you name. Thank you so I'm much. Excited. Yeah, we're, we're very <laughs> excited. We are just having the best time celebrating your extraordinary career. So thank you so, so much for joining us on the show. And this year marks the 40th anniversary of both The Conversation and The Godfather Part Two. And before we get into those films, you know, they would not have really have happened without the first Godfather, which I read that you originally passed on directing so why why did you pass and what helped you change your mind to bring it back to it well you know at the time uh, and really my whole life what i really wanted to do was to be a, a filmmaker who wrote and direct more personal independent style films and uh, at that time when they showed me the godfather it was of course a, a popular best-selling book and anyone who's actually read the book knows that the part that made up the film, which was the story of Don Corleone and his sons, was just a section of the book. The book had lots of other parts, some of them a little steamy, and, and when I first read it, I thought sort of uh, like uh, almost a pot boiler, you know, a book that was uh, uh, trying to sell on the base of a uh, very salacious story of... Uh, of uh, but. But you know, I I I, I didn't I, I the part of the of the Don and his sons was interesting, but I felt as a whole the book wasn't the kind of thing I wanted to do. And actually, it was George Lucas who was my young associate at the time who said, "Francis, you know, you got to do this. This is a real job, and we need the money. So you know, please." Trying to, try to change your mind. <laughs> we are so glad that you did The Godfather, one of the greatest films ever made. I know originally it was set in the 70s, so why did you want to set it in the period time of the 40s? 40s. Yeah. No, it wasn't said in the book and in the story. It was said in the 40, 40s, right. but this was the 70s when it was made, and the studio wanted to make it as a pretty low-budget film, which is how I got the part. <laughs> and uh, and they wanted to shoot it, though not in New York, where the story really took place, but in Kansas City, and just shoot it in contemporary times. So that, uh, that would mean that all the clothes and the cars would all be of the 70s, uh, which would be the period of the shooting, so it would be cheap because everyone, you could just drive cars and it wouldn't have to be special period cars. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I felt that the story, once I realized the story was of the father and his three sons, would be better in its original setting, which was New York right after the war in the 40s, and that's the way I tried to do it. And that's the way eventually I went out and did do it. Well, what, why was, a, was Paramount originally opposed to the casting of Marlon Brando as Vito Corleone and Al Pacino as Michael. And how did you win them over? And I understand that you actually had to do sort of a fake screen test with Brando <laughs> to convince the, the studio that he was right for the part of Vito. Well, their, their disagreement with the casting was, of course, very different. Marlon Brando, who was very famous, had appeared in a number of movies just around that time, one in particular called Burn. Uh, Quemada was its foreign name, which which didn't make any money, and he had made a few films that didn't have a big box office, and so they were convinced that uh, to have Brando in the film would actually keep people away. Oh, wow. Also, he had a reputation for being troublesome and uh, kind of having antics on the set that would cause delays and 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 trouble. So they they really wanted to avoid him. But Pacino, the the the, the reason was different. It was because he was so unknown. He was young, he had never been in a film, he had been in some theater, 
and he was, you know, he he wasn't a recognizable star. They would prefer someone like Ryan O'Neill or or uh, who had been the big uh, hit in Love Story, which they made, or even uh, or even um, you know another well-known or Robert Redford or someone. Uh, and uh, and it's just that I felt that when I read the book, I saw Pacino's face because uh, mm. I knew him, and it was hard for me to get that image out of my mind. It's hard to imagine anyone else playing that role. <laughs> when it came to making The Godfather Part Two, did the studio leave you alone? <laughs> yes, they did. They yeah. were, thanks, thanks to them, and then uh, the success of the first one, I had a free hand with it. It was good because that was a very complicated movie that had locations. In Lake Tahoe in California, in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas, in the Dominican Republic, mm. in New York, and in Sicily. So it was a big, complicated production, and uh, it went very smoothly. Oh, wow. Well, you know, The Godfather Part Two is so, it's such a, a bold, ambitious, complex movie. Uh, it's, a, it's epic with a capital E. And, t- and to know that this movie came out the same year as The Conversation, 1974, and Conversation won the top prize in Cannes, and, and then Godfather Part Two, you, you win three Oscars for that film. I mean, what was it like being Francis Ford Coppola during <laughs> that year? I mean, that must have given you just so much confidence and vindication for your for everything that you fought so hard to do well you know it was you know i think people don't understand that creative people have a lot of self-doubt and a lot of trepidation and they may act uh, very uh, assertive but in fact uh, alone looking in the mirror they're as terrified as anyone <laughs> who would uh, go on a big enterprise you know to be a creative person means that you have to doubt yourself and uh, those were big, tough movies, and uh, of course, I was able to get the little personal film, the conversation in on the ride. So, um, and then, but you know, I, I I may have felt confident, but then when I went to want to make Apocalypse Now, nobody wanted to make it, and I found myself right back in the same place I had been. That despite the having made the first Godfather, the conversation, and the second Godfather in a row over a few year period, that nobody wanted to uh, help me and, and finance. And ultimately, you know, I ended up financing um, uh, Apocalypse Now myself, which mm. meant not that I had any money, which meant I went on <laughs> on on uh, on, the, on in debt to do it at a time when interest, by the way, was nineteen percent. So it was a pretty scary. But yes, it's true that in those days I made Godfather, Conversation, Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now, one after the other, you know, each one a super difficult production. And uh, and uh, in fact, I never even thought I was going to survive uh, that last film, but uh, as things turned out, I did. Yeah. Wow. And each of those films are so different from each other. We have so much fun. We rewatched all those movies in <laughs> preparation for this. The conversation I had so much fun watching again, even though I've seen it about 10 times. And I was reading that that is actually your favorite film of you, what you directed. Is that right? Well, it's, it's, it's yes, because it was, it was smaller. It was more personal. It was more intimate. And I got to write the story and the script. You know, that was my dream as a kid. I wanted to write the story and the script and make a personal film 
because at that time we were seeing those films coming from France and Italy and Japan, and and uh, they were very inspiring. The, the these European movies, which were more, uh, you know, called auteur films, they were made by a person who's just not a director hired, but someone who was really an author and who who in some way had a personal connection with the film. Well, you originally wanted Marlon Brando to play Harry Call, and then Gene Hackman really knocked it out of the park and was really perfect. At what point during rehearsal or during the actual making of the film did you realize, wow, yeah, Gene Hackman really is the man. He is a great Harry Call. Well, you know, I knew he was wonderful in Bonnie and Clyde, and, and I was a great admirer of him, and he was the right age, and... Uh, you know, he was a good friend of Bobby Duval, who who was another great actor and uh, and a good friend of uh, and, and and even a roommate of uh, of uh, Gene Hackman for a while. And and uh, so the working with Gene, the rehearsal. I mean, he's an extremely intelligent guy, and uh, it was a tough role because you know Harry Cole is not a particularly attractive figure. He's a complicated, uh, brooding figure, and it was tough for Gene to to have to get, you know, it's hard for an actor to play a role of a man who is so brooding and self-loathing and uh, uh, introspective. So so it was really, uh, I must say, I mean, uh, you know, you work on these things, but you don't, you don't even dare to hope that they're going to be good. You just want to survive the period and get it on film. And it was when we first sat down and looked at the movie all cut together that I realized that we had something that, that, that was uh, compelling. Well, speaking of surviving a movie, <laughs> Apocalypse Now, I'm not sure how you survived that shoot. At what point during the editing process did you realize that you got the film that you wanted to make? You know, it never happens like that. You're scared and worried, right? You know, we we showed Apocalypse to a group of, um, I think they were Japanese distributors, and they had uh, put up money thinking we, we were going to make like a World War II war film like the you know the, the guns of Navarone or something, and uh, when they saw such a strange long movie, uh, they were shocked. And I, I thought, oh my God, this is curtains. And we <laughs> all in there, and, and, and in fact, we went that night and we cut out twenty minutes to at least make it shorter. And uh, you know, even the opening of Apocalypse was very controversial. And as you know, it it, it was nominated, but the big picture of the year turned out to be a film called Kramer versus Kramer. Mm. And Apocalypse was sort of uh, you know it was in another world of yes, it's interesting, but what is it and stuff. But over the years, Apocalypse really emerged as a classic. And that's why many years later I decided to put the 20 minutes that I had cut out during the Japanese uh, distributor screen back in. So there is a version called Apocalypse Redux, which is the version as it was before that fateful screening. I want to I ask you about Apocalypse Now Redux. When I saw that movie in August of 2001... Now, I, I, I have to say, Apocalypse Now is a movie I've seen so many times I've lost count. And whenever, Mr. Coppola, it is playing on the big screen here in Los Angeles, I will drop what I am doing to yeah. go see it because that is a movie that deserves to be seen in its original form on the big screen. And when I was watching the Redux and seeing the French plantation scene for the first time, I felt like that gave the film – as if not that it needed it, but it gave it so much more political depth, and I often wondered why that was left out of the 1979 release. Well, it was literally the film was so surreal and so strange, 
And as I said, as we were preparing to release it, we, of course, were showing it to the distributors who were the ones who had put up money to get it, and, and they they just felt it was so long and strange and, and different than anything they had seen before, so we were very worried. And we, you know, when you are worried and a movie is about to come out, you know that that first reaction might doom it or bless it, and we didn't want it to be uh, doomed, and so we... we pulled out 20 minutes and we thought well maybe taking the french plantation out would would sort of simplify what was already a long and complex film and uh, i didn't want to but uh but as and and when it did come out it was it was you know kind of damned by many critics and ultimately the public kept going back and going back and the film survived and, and and emerged as as what it is now which is considered something of a classic but it didn't seem that way in the first six months. Yeah, definitely a classic and one you have to revisit over and over again. I love watching I that love film watching too. I love watching it too, yes. It's so incredible. Now on to the Godfather saga. How close did you come to making Godfather Part 4? And was there any idea for a story for that? Well, you know, uh, you know Mario Puzo, who is an absolutely wonderful man, was, was ill. And he very much wanted to be able to leave his children some some inheritance beyond what he he had and so he wanted to uh to write a uh, godfather uh, part four i guess uh, a script and i went to Paramount and i said look if you give mario the money to do this i will help and work with him even for free uh and we have cooked up an idea for a story and we're happy to do it but at that time the studio had, had changed its management and they didn't want to and and then uh, unfortunately right in the midst of uh, you know, a year later, he did pass away. So it would ha- he we would have had a, a a script. And you know, I myself uh, by then felt at my age now I ought to get back to doing what I really want to do, which is not big, you know, Hollywood films, but more personal, experimental, interesting. Uh, new forms of what movies could be and so that's what I'm thinking about these days. Well, Mr. Coppola we are honored and grateful yes. and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Alicia and me on Profiles. I mean this is a true celebration of your work and of your career. Just and a dream come true to talk to you. Really, well, really where is. Where are you? I don't know where, where you are. I'm talking to you but I haven't even been anywhere. <laughs> we are in LA. Don't let my accent fool oh. you. <laughs> yes, uh, she's from Australia. I'm from Philadelphia but but uh, we are both talking to you from Los Angeles. And, and well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for your, your enthusiasm. It, it does my heart good to know that all those miserable nights when I was suicidal, that ends up in a happy way like this. So thank you, and, and uh, my pleasure to talk to you. All the thank best you so to you, much. sir. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Oh, oh my, my god. god. <laughs> oh my god. My mind, blown. mind was, is blown. I was like tongue tied. I was just Give so excited. Right that nice. is just a dream wow. come wow. true to nice. talk to you. I can't right. even I can't even do it nice. properly. Okay, that's better. <laughs> okay, much Woo. better. Okay. I was so nervous. My palms were sweating. Even though I've spoken to him before on the red carpet, I just feel like when he's calling up for our show and to talk about his entire career, it is such a special thing. And I am just so excited. I can't wait for everyone out there to listen to this and thank you for everyone for your support and 
and I'm just like this, to thank the Academy. And I don't know. See this? See this enthusiasm right here? <laughs> this excitement? Film geek. This is a film geek. Yeah. And this is a film geek. And that is why Pull it together. this is what Profiles is all <laughs> about. Just bringing you the love well, of movies and of great filmmakers. And for him and to say that he, it warms his heart to hear that we love his film so I'm much. I'm never going to forget this moment. No, me neither. Never going to forget this moment. Never. And neither will you. Well, oh. let's get back into the okay. Godfather Part 2, my I friend. I believe we were, uh, uh, we were talking about Godfather Part 2. Yes, okay. we were. Let's get so, back into it. Oh, continuing the saga okay. of the Corleone family. I was going to say <laughs> that while most people say that the Godfather Part 1 is the, is the best, I think Godfather Part 2 is a better film and just because of what uh, Mr. Coppola was just talking about, how it was so much more ambitious and there was so much scope. going on. Bigger scope. You've got the stuff, the, the two mirroring stories, the rise of Vito mm-hmm. played by uh, Oscar winner Robert De Niro and the fall, at least corrupt, the corruption of the soul of Michael Corleone. Yeah. But then you've got like the trials, you know, the stuff in Cuba mm. and there's just so the much Sicily to this prologue. movie. Yeah. yeah. It's just such a bold, ambitious film. It's both a prologue and a sequel at the same time and i think it was really smart not to try and do the same thing as the godfather to make it different and i love the intercutting between the two the two generations the father and the son and the the passing of the sins from one to the other the sins of the father and and interestingly the the go in the back and the forth and the original cut for the film the the studio felt that you didn't spend enough time in either time period long enough to absorb it and really get consumed by it before it would shift back mm. to the other time period. But I felt like you needed that break because it got so intense. It did. It and definitely then it, did. it took a moment to, to take you out of it and then back in. So then so then when they recut the film, they spent longer periods of time in each time period. The movie was shot between uh, October 1st, 1973 and June 19th, 1974. And then, of course, uh, uh, Coppola made his uh, more personal film that he wrote, The Conversation. Mm. But so many great, great quotes in this film. Keep your friends close, but your enemies, enemies closer. closer. What a great line. That's almost the theme for the, the whole movie. And, and similar to Godfather Part 1, it's all about revenge and betrayal and violence and power and, of course, loyalty to family. Well, speaking of family, let's just go right into it with our Fast Five. Number At number one, one is... I'm going to make him an offer again with you. Yes, the there Godfather. he is! The Godfather! Part one. Came out in uh, our March 24th, 1972. Nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It won three. Best Picture, Best Actor, Marlon Brando, and Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And among the nominees that year in the category for Supporting Actor were Robert Duvall, James Caan, and Al Pacino was nominated for Supporting Actor? What? I thought he would be lead. That's a lead performance, and my I, friend. And I think he thought he would be lead, too. He wasn't happy <laughs> yeah. with being in the supporting yeah. actor category. The Godfather is widely considered to be one of the greatest films ever, ever made. Yep. If you look at any of those top 100 movies of all time lists, they will always have The Godfather as number one, two, or three. Um, Brando, just an incredibly iconic character, 
I love Marlon Brando. I think he's just such a brilliant really? actor. Really? I couldn't tell. <laughs> I couldn't tell. With your shirt. Wearing him. <laughs> and I love little moments like the very beginning of the film um, when Brando is stroking the cat. And that was a stray cat on the set that Brando picked up. And then the cat was so happy. He was purring. And they actually had to redo his voiceover later on because the cat was purring so loudly. I love that the actor who was playing Luca Brasi was so nervous to do huh. his scene with Marlon Brando that he stumbles as he's speaking, kind of like I was to Francis Ford and <laughs> they kept that in and they made that part of the character and then they added the uh, speech that he's practicing earlier on. Yeah. Don Corleone, I am honored that you invited me to your daughter's wedding yeah. on the day of your daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but this just reinvented the gangster genre and really revitalized American cinema because before that it was all about foreign markets right. and then America showed that they had this great style. The Godfather, along with Love Story, which came out the year before, saved Paramount and saved Hollywood. Mm. It really, really did. The movie was shot in 62 days. The original budget was $1 million. It was actually upped to $7 million when all was said and done. So many great, iconic scenes in this movie. Mm. And to this day, watching it again, I've seen the movie like 20 or 30 times, if not more. <laughs> but the scene with the studio head, when he wakes up in the with bed. With the horse's head. With the horse's head. Cartoon. Oh. Poor horse cartoon and he's like horse. ah ah and then you've got the murders in the restaurant you've got Carlos murders um, just superb acting it's got great character studies beautiful cinematography Gordon Willis who passed away quite recently the Prince of Shadows wow. I love the way he, he made it so dark and shadowy because that was the world of the Corleones The Godfather is my favourite Coppola film I, I get something new out of it every single time. And I watched it again on the plane. And again, it made the time fly by. Well, I got to say <laughs> that, that this, you know, you talked about the scene at the end of the film where that's like, that's when Michael Corleone really becomes the godfather. Mm. But on a more symbolic note, after, after Michael Corleone gets punched in the face by Catherine McCluskey. Yeah. And his jaw is wired shut. And that that uh, they're having the discussion among the family that they have to go and kill Salazzo and McCluskey. But there's a scene, and this is after after Michael has stayed away from the family. He says, it's not, it's my family, Kay. That's not me. Mm. And, and Vito wanted to keep him out of the family business because mm-hmm. he was a war hero. He's a good, good boy. So now they, what is that line from Godfather Part 3? I try to get out, but they keep pulling me back, back in. in. So there's that scene before Michael goes to kill Salazzo, where he's sitting with Sonny and with Tom Hagen, and he's sitting in the chair, and you see him on a, on a symbolic level become Michael Corleone, mm. where he's talking about, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. He does it very calm. And the camera, this is, and this is just to sort of like, like accentuate the moment, the camera zooms in on him, on him very, very, very slowly, as if to say... He's the Godfather. Pay attention. Now. Pay attention to this moment. Yeah, because I think it it really happens just before that at the hospital. That's when he really changes. When the the policeman punches him in the face, I think that's the moment he changes, and then you see him slowly, slowly descend yep. into the Godfather. Of course, it's all about family loyalty once again and uh, vengeance, and it's quite brutal. But interesting that the violence only comes in about forty five minutes. 
internet. Oh, that's yeah. the cartoon? That's the, yeah, that's the horse oh, the head. Horse. That was Ooh. the first one. And it's, I don't think it's, I mean, yes, there are some very violent scenes, like Sonny's death. Sonny's death is horrifying. Booth. Well, That's probably the most violent. And there are some other scenes, but it's not actually as violent as you might think. But the thing about the horse head scenes, you actually don't see the violence happening. No. You see the aftermath. aftermath yeah. Which is what makes it scarier. <sighs> and our profilers in Schmoville about go- both Godfather films, going back to Godfather Part 2, Maxanne Vincent says, The Godfather 2 is my second favorite film of all time. What's number one? <laughs> uh, it's handled so well. It's intense, rough, paroc- provocative. Very tough to watch. 202 minutes of pure awesomeness. Well, Blaine Harris says, The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2 are some of the most perfect films ever made with acting brilliance all around. It is very hard to believe that it is 40 years old. It feels as though it could have been made yesterday. It's true. Very timeless. The cinematography, soundtrack, screenplay, and it's very quotable. Well, my good friend Liam Logrand, who was my favorite person in Schmoville because he is a huge Beatles fan just like me, Mm -hmm. has this to say about the first Godfather. It's the greatest ensemble to be assembled in cinematic history with legends such as Brando, Pacino, Khan, and Duvall all bringing their A-game to this compelling and excellently executed story. The only reason I personally prefer one over part two is, well, you said this yourself, Alicia, is Marlon Brando's performance as Don Vito Corleone. After multiple flops in the 1960s, it was great to see Brando return to what made him the greatest actor of all time. He is. And finally, Tyler Myers says, I love The Godfather because not only was it the first Coppola film I ever saw, but it's one of the very few movies that I can label perfection. Everything from the acting, most notably from heavyweights like Brando, Pacino, Khan, Duval, to the writing, directing, cinematography and the music was absolutely flawless. It revolutionized the gangster genre and is filled with iconic moments including the restaurant scene and the horse head in the bed, an absolute masterpiece from beginning to end. And I think this profiles is almost a masterpiece from beginning to I end. I was just going to say, <laughs> you know what else was a masterpiece? This <laughs> episode of Profiles. So let's recap If there was our- something else that was absolutely flawless and iconic it was this episode of Profiles yes let's recap our fast fives number shall five we? is the outsiders. outsiders number four the, the conversation. conversation number three apocalypse, apocalypse now. now number two the, the godfather, godfather part, part two and number one the, the godfather. godfather and we had francis ford coppola himself call in to talk to us and he used the word scott and alicia and i died inside this I think I can drop the mic. I'm happy now. Talk about Done. a moment we can't refuse. <laughs> yeah. This was great. And before we tease to next week, we want to again remind you, especially if you love this episode of Profiles, which is our best episode yet. I know we say that all Every the time. Every week. <laughs> but this, real, this is the one. Yeah. This is our masterpiece. This is our Godfather, Godfather 2 and Apocalypse Now and Conversation all wrapped up <laughs> into one. Please, please, please. Please share our Facebook fan yes. page profiles with Malone and Mance on the Schmoes New Network. Share it with your friends. Subscribe Join in to on iTunes. the conversation. Subscribe rate to iTunes. Review. Rate and review Malone and Mance yeah. on iTunes. Because honestly, we put hours of work into this and we love doing it. It's our passion. We just want as many people to see it as possible. And we, we want really to keep do. getting these great guests. Although I don't know how we're going to top this one. How do we top this? I don't know. I don't know. But, but for next week, who could Who be next have? week's profiles? Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock! My favorite director of all time, perfectly timed for Halloween. Halloween, because that's what he would have wanted. It's the master of suspense. That's exactly what he would want. So please check us out next time on Profiles. Until then, 
Good, Good evening. evening. <laughs> From producers Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, and the entire Schmoes No Network crew, we would like to thank you for listening to Profiles with Alicia Malone and Scott Mance. Special thanks to Kevin Undergaro and Maria Madunos, the author of Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, in stores now. Be sure to subscribe to Profiles on iTunes and rate and review the show. To get other Schmoes No Network episodes, movie news, and join the conversation, be sure to visit SchmoesNo.com. I'm the Pit Boss, and this has been a presentation of the Schmoes No Network.